Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste, the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Bring spring color inside this season with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with bare premium plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. And I am Ben. Ben, we're back with more listener mail because it just keeps pouring in, doesn't it? Yeah, I was talking earlier with our uh, super producer, uh, Noel P.S. Brown, about this. Uh, you know, the title I was thinking was The Return of the Return of Listener Mail. Because mm-hmm. we just had so many letters, tweets, fantastic ideas for episodes, Facebook messages that we know we're probably still not going to get to all of it, but we, we wanted to give it one more shot this round while we're here. Right? Absolutely. We're going to try to get through as many of these as we possibly can. Some of them are going to be quick. Some of them are going to take a little bit longer because uh, they require us to read a paragraph or two. And, sure. Uh, and you know what? There's some fantastic ideas in here for future shows. So um, if you've written in recently, listen up because your note just may be in the pile here. Yeah, absolutely. You want to uh, kick it off for us, Scott? Yeah, let's try that. Uh, how about um, we'll start with one from Kyle A., and uh, we'll just say Kyle A. is a fan from the Internet. How about that? Okay. All right. I'm not sure where he's from exactly, but he says, Dear Scott, the Mad Dog Benjamin, and Ben, the Face Bolin. Oh, cool. Hey, thanks, man. The Face. I mean, that could go as a compliment or as, uh, <laughs> let's say, an observation. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. <laughs> Got a face for radio. Well, here's an observation uh, from Kyle. Kyle says that um, in our bus episode, uh, we were we were talking about um, you know we had a question I guess along the way somewhere about uh, do Boy Scouts travel via bus? Oh yeah, because yeah. I thought they did. I thought I'd seen a, a Boy Scout bus at some point, mm-hmm. and you know maybe I had, maybe I haven't. And he says that um, Kyle says that I can tell you that uh, they do sometimes use buses to get to events, but they're not particularly or exactly. Boy Scout buses, they will just charter a bus to get there. Oh, that makes sense. For most cases, they, they typically use personal vehicles and trailers, and, of course, they have to go through some type of inspection in order to be able to, to be used sure. or something like that. You know, they have to be in good shape, in other words. But he also went on, Kyle also went on to uh, make three pretty good suggestions, and uh, we'll, we'll list these here um, without reading the whole thing. It's a longer email. Um, the three suggestions were the vehicles of the A-team. And, you know, oh, yeah. initially you think, okay, they've got the van 
that's about it, right? That's that's all you would think that they have. But he's talking about not just the van, but the planes, the boats, the cars, mm-hmm. all that stuff that came along with it. Now, that series was on for a while, several years. Yes, sir. And I know that if we comb through some of those episodes, we'll be able to find some really unusual vehicles from that time period and earlier. So mm-hmm. uh, that's probably – that's actually a pretty good suggestion for a television theme show, The Vehicles of the A-Team. Uh, the next would be to dig into the brand Jaguar, or Jaguar, as Harvey likes to say it. <laughs> Jaguar. Yeah, why haven't we done that one? That's a I good call. I don't know. That's got fantastic racing history, by yeah. the way. I'd love to do that one. And then the Ford Fairlane in specific. So Ford Fairlane is the, the third suggestion. And, uh, Ben, there's a Ford Fairlane in my neighborhood. It's kind of a baby blue color. No way. Yeah, and the uh, the uh, the person parks it on a court that's not far from mine. I, if I take a you know short walk with the dog. Right. I can walk past this car every day if I wanted to. It's a beautiful car. It's in really good shape. It's a driver, not, uh, you know, like not in show condition or anything, but mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty. Um, looks nice, has shiny chrome on it, has, uh, it looks like new paint. Uh, the interior looks pretty original and it sounds really amazing when he, uh, is leaving for the, you know, for work in the morning. Well, that, you know what, man, that is cool. I want to see it. I'd love to see some photos if you get a chance to snap them without, you know, getting in trouble. Well, you know, here's the thing. I usually walk the dog in the evening and it's late and my camera's not all that fantastic as far as like, you know, dark, you know, like dark settings. Sure. So I'm going to try to catch it some weekend maybe there. Uh, Usually during the day, the person's gone. Uh, but it's really a cool-looking car, and uh, so I think those are good suggestions. So thank yeah. you, Kyle, and uh, we will look into that. Yeah, and moving on, we've got a recent letter from Bill H. Uh, Bill H. wrote in to say, uh, it, I just listened to a book on tape on Route 66 and thought you had done an episode on it, but a search did not reveal one. I'm sure you could probably do multiple episodes on this, and we've done roadside attractions before, right? Yeah, yeah. you haven't done Route 66 as a topic? Surely we have. <laughs> Have we, have I don't, we done it and forgotten that we did it? You know, I don't know. I'm going to have to search, uh, search through the archives, I guess, and find out if we have. Well, um, Bill, if we indeed have not done this, then clearly we have to. Uh, he goes on, though, Scott. He says, I'm sure you could do multiple episodes on this. You could even do a mini-series on famous American roadways such as the A1A, the East Coast Highway that goes to Florida Keys, the now infamous parking lot known as I-95. Hmm. And he's like, when you get done with roads, you could do famous bridges, the Golden Gate, Brooklyn Bridge, Bridge to Upper Michigan, the famous Lake Pond train bridge we have here in Louisiana, one of the longest bridges in the world. When you complete bridges, you could get into tunnels, which probably wouldn't make a whole episode. But there's some interesting stories about tunnels underwater and through mountains. I like all of those ideas. I do, too. Now, uh, our buddies over at Stuff You Should Know recently did an episode on bridges, including, uh, I think, a lot about bridge maintenance and... You know, the the dangerous state of so many bridges in the U.S. today. Well, there you go. Instant gratification. You can check that out right now. And in the meantime, we will look into some of the other stuff that, mm-hmm. uh, that we can cover. Yeah. Um, if we haven't done Route 66 yet, we're going to search that. How have we, we definitely should. We have to. Yeah. I think it was a couple of years ago. My uh, my father did the uh, the whole Route 66 trip from Chicago all the way to the pier. The San That's Michael right. Pier. Yeah. Yeah. It was, a, it was an amazing trip. So um, he's got. Like a thousand photos or more, maybe even. Mm-hmm. Um, but anybody that has written in that has done that trip, and there have been many people in our listening audience that have written in over the years and, and you know, said something about Route 66, you know, talking about the Mother Road and, and yeah. parts of it that are missing and, you know, the adventure right. of just finding the original parts and all that. Um, it, it sounds like just amazing topic for us to cover so yeah it's it's a very different drive now because of the the changes that have been made to the infrastructure and the roadway but bill uh these are excellent suggestions thank you so much i like it all right so let's uh move on to the next one this one comes from uh adrian t 
who uh, calls himself an expat Brit uh, from Beverly Hills, Michigan. Expat Brit. (laughs) All right. So uh, let's see. There's a few different things here. So I'm going to kind of quickly go through this. Now, it's a long, long email. So I'll just kind of give you the gist of what he's uh, he's asking for here. But um, maybe talking, you know, when we do our nuts and bolts episodes, we kind of laugh, you know, like you can't do a whole episode on just nuts and bolts, right? (laughs) This is maybe you can if you do the like the British standard the British standard hardware versus the uh, the typical American hardware that's used in American cars. And, you know, some of the places where, like, pipe threads have been used instead of some of the other, uh, you know, the metal screws and things that have been used. It just, it's a, it's actually an interesting topic if you dig into it. I don't know if it would be too um, in the weeds, I guess, for us to describe on an audio podcast. Maybe that's something better for video, possibly. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But a great suggestion. Oh, and then also he mentions uh, metric versus inch size tires. That's a that's a completely different topic, and I think uh, that may also be interesting. Um, again, maybe video. I'm not sure. I don't know how yeah. that will work out. Um, okay. And then here's one thing that I that I will read for you. Okay. All right. This is uh, this is this is one more thing. Going back to the luxury car episode, you mentioned then and have in the past the Aston Martin Signet. Remember we mentioned uh, yeah. how they've badged this, uh, what was it, a smart car, right? Yeah, pretty much. It's a smart car, pretty much. I mean, there's obvious differences. Sure. Okay, he says, this car obviously causes you some consternation <laughs> and that it's an overdressed economy car. And, and yeah, that's kind of what we said in that episode, I believe. Um, he says, there is some precedence for it within the Aston Martin family, however. And then he mentions that Aston Martin have owned an old engineering firm and bodybuilder named Tickford. Um, just after the, since just after the Second World War. Now there's been there's a been a long tie up between Tickford and Aston Martin with several Aston Martin Tickford models uh, before Aston sold Tickford around the 90s and he's not sure exactly when that was about 1990. Uh, but back in the 80s, while Aston still owned Tickford, they built the Tickford Metro. And if you look at the Tickford Metro, uh-huh. um, it was a super luxury model based on the humble Austin Rover MG Metro which was a uh, super mini, similar to the size to the original MK1 Fiesta, or Mark One Fiesta, or Volkswagen Polo. Mm-hmm. So a very small car, uh, but again, it's badged this uh, Aston Martin Tickford, or um, I guess the Tickford Metro. Mm-hmm. He says it had a whopping 80 horsepower compared to the standard car's 50 or so horsepower and the MG Turbo's 70 horsepower at the time. So um, 80 horsepower is pretty good out of a small car, mm-hmm. but it was known... Specifically for its uh, its seriously luxurious interior, it was absolutely covered in leather, sumptuous seats, and top end hi fi. <laughs> These last because we need to hear about hi fi last. Um, outside, it had a distinctive body kit, paint, wheels, etc., and they were actually seriously cool cars. But at a cost of nearly twelve thousand um, pounds, I think that's uh, you know Great Britain pounds at the time, um, about nineteen thousand U.S. dollars at the time, which would have been Pretty expensive, I guess. He said that's equivalent to about forty-seven thousand dollars today. So you're talking about forty-seven k for a wow. for a small vehicle, but it's very luxurious. Sure. Um, he said it was massively expensive, and they did other high-end conversions on other, you know, like what you call humble cars, I guess, including <laughs> the Ford Capri. Oh, that's right. This is where he wrote into us before. Uh, he says, which I've written to you about before, how you maliciously and wrongly maligned it. Uh, you remember that episode? It was, uh, I think it was the worst Fords or something like that. A, yeah, I and remember Capri that. made the list and uh-huh. Adrian wrote in because he was angry about that. I remember that. And we that. still haven't done our Capri episode. We have to do that. We have so it. It's, it's on do. the list. All right. Yeah. So anyways, he says, I think the, uh, the tick for conversions could be another episode topic worth investigating. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Anyways, uh, thanks, Adrian, for the suggestion, and yeah. uh, thanks for clearing up, you know, the uh, the Aston Martin tie-in with the luxury thing. I, I get it now that they've, they've done this in the past, mm-hmm. but to me, it's still, I mean, I, I know what you're saying, but it's still a bit silly to price a, a smart car that is covered in leather and all these extra features and, right. you know, bells and whistles, sure, mm-hmm. but it's crazy to badge it as an Aston Martin and sell it as such, I think. I mean... You can you can throw a tiger skin on a pig as much as you want. No, I'm kidding. I mean, no offense to uh, Signets, pigs, tigers, or Aston Martin. <laughs> but that was a that was a great letter, Adrian. You Thank got you. yourself covered there. Ben. He got, and I remember laughing at the uh, at the Larry wrote earlier about the Capri. Yeah, that, that was, was funny. That was chuckle worthy for yes. sure. Uh, here's one from our friend Hezron, and uh, Hezron J says. Hey guys, I thought I'd share this with you. My own cruise control story. I have a 2013 Ford Focus, standard cruise control, so not adaptive. A few months ago, I went on a little road trip with my wife. I was using the cruise control for an extended time. The road I was on had a lot of peaks and valleys. After one long, steep incline, I suddenly had a loss of power. After a brief panic, I was a few hundred miles away from home in the middle of nowhere, I realized the engine could not maintain the speed on the incline, and that deactivated the cruise control. I was irritated, because, as I know this isn't in the user manual. I had cruise control in my previous car, but that was an automatic, so that would obviously change the gears even in cruise control. I also realized that when you do use cruise control, your foot is slightly further away from the pedals because of where you now rest your foot, and therefore, importantly, further from the brake than it should be. Now, needless to say, I don't use cruise control anymore. The car has a speed limiter option, which is far more useful. So Hezron also is a, uh, a is a fellow non-cruise control fan, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, because I'm not a fan either. Yeah, I, I don't think either of us are. Yeah. And, uh, my it's gr- yeah. super difficult to use here in Atlanta. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's I, I think I can see the arguable savings and convenience for road trips if you really trust it. Mm-hmm. But every time I go on a road trip with, with my girlfriend, we have the, uh, the triple C, I call it the cruise control conversation where she's saying, you know, just use the cruise control. Just put on the cruise control. Your foot is going to ache after we finally get to wherever we're going. But I refuse. Man's got to take a stand. You know? you know, there's also there's there's little things that you can do to prevent your foot from aching. We'll get back on topic here. In a second, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But uh, instead of using like the ball of your foot on the accelerator pedal, like a lot of people will do around town, uh, use your entire foot. Put your heel right up to the uh, to the pedal and use your entire foot on the pedal. That helps quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, as far as fatigue goes. And then there's that most cars now have a dead pedal. Um, on the far left, I don't know what what better to call that. I don't even know if it's a pedal. It's more like a rest, a foot rest. Sure, uh, yeah. That is an angle, and it's actually very comfortable. So if you use your feet in both those positions, uh, you won't be quite as fatigued as if you just use the uh, the ball of your foot to to accelerate. Um, you won't be flexing your calf uh, and your thigh, I guess, quite as much. I know it's silly, but if you're talking about hours and hours and hours of driving, it yeah. really does pay off. It benefits. Um, so, but I honestly, we're both not fans of uh, of, of cruise control. Uh, probably because of the environment that we're in right now. Sure. On road trips, I sometimes will use it, but it's very, very rare. And, uh, you know, it has to be wide, wide open because I just don't trust myself, I guess, that I won't forget that it's on or, or do something stupid. I guess. Yeah. You know, if, I'm, if I'm trying to get brownie points with my girlfriend on a road trip, then yeah, cruise control all day, mm-hmm. but it's for very different purpose. Sure. And a cruise control and manual as, uh, as, yeah. um, is it Hezron? Is, yeah. is, uh, is, is referring to. That's really difficult. I mean, it's 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 a different ball game altogether, really. I mean, mm-hmm. you have to be 
smart in the gears that you select and know that the terrain that's coming up is going to be similar to the terrain when you select the gear that you put it in. Sure. Um, or they can handle whatever's coming ahead. You know, you're in a low enough gear to be able to climb a hill. Right. Um, high enough gear that, you know, you're still saving fuel. Uh, it's just a, it's always a strange thing when you have cruise control in a manual transmission vehicle. Yeah. Oh, oh uh, I've got another one really quick. Different person. This mm-hmm. comes to us from Twitter. It is uh, Joseph uh, Joseph Harris writes into us and says, "Hey guys, are the terms motor and engine interchangeable, or are some engines not motors and are some motors not engines?" Oh, this is a good question. This is a good one. Okay, now I've seen it many different ways, and a lot of people that are gearheads will write motor for engine. Right. But now uh, I'm very careful about this now because with the electric cars and the hybrids and all that, I'm very right. careful to either say engine. Or motor. I say motor when it's electric, mm-hmm. engine when it's internal combustion. That's typically the way we approach it. So if we talk about a hybrid vehicle, for instance, you can go back and you can hear us say the electric motor provides this much, the engine, engine provides that much. And, yeah. and you have to spell that out. Otherwise, you wouldn't know which one you're talking about in that right. particular case. Now, a lot of people say, I just pull the motor out of that truck and put it in that truck. And that's, you know, it's just used interchangeably in many cases. Um, in older vehicles, it's really not an issue. You can say motor or engine. Um, it's more, I guess it's, it is correct to say engine versus motor. Uh, motor would be the electric, obviously. Right, yeah. So there's there's an interesting tale behind here, if I could do just a little bit of etymology, right? So it is true, Joseph, that today many people use the word motor and engine as synonyms, right, mm-hmm. in, in, in modern English. However, they come from very different places. I mean, sort of. They, it's like they're, if these words were kids, they grew up together in the same language and they moved to weird different neighborhoods. So <laughs> motor is, you know, comes from Latin, uh, movere, just to move, right? And it first re- referred to just a propulsive force. And then later, the person or the device that moved something or made movement happen. And it came uh, through French into English, and so that's when it started being like the initiator. A person could be the motor of a plot, which sounds weird today, but is how people talk to each other back then. Uh, so by 1899, it had entered uh, the vernacular as the word for these newfangled horseless carriages that are so popular today. That what surprise caught on. Engine, however, comes from ingenium. That means character or mental powers, your talent, your intellect, your cleverness. Uh, that's why you hear things like engineer. Uh, the the engine, word engineer goes back to 1380s, way before cars. And it was the people who made siege engines and catapults and stuff. Uh, by the early 18th century, it referred specifically to the makers of engines and machines. So while they are used synonymously, the distinction, Joseph, that we do on car stuff for sure is if it's electric, it's a motor. If it's icy, it's an engine. So why don't we call it engine cycle instead of motorcycle? You know what? That's a really good point. But those uh, those electric motorcycles are out, right? Yeah, I guess so. That would be a true motorcycle. Yeah, yeah. Engine cycle, though. I like it. <laughs> I There's don't know if, someone who calls it that. Well, I don't know if I like it or not. I mean, it, yeah. you're just so accustomed to hearing motorcycle. I mean, that's just the way it is. Right, yeah. And then, you know, we can also see that uh, some small, still internal combustion engines, like small two-chamber engines, are called motors, like the... Uh, 
the motor on your weed whacker mm-hmm. or something, if you have a gas-powered weed whacker. I guess. I mean, you could call that an, I, I call that an engine. You call that the engine? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I Technically. I mean, I guess I never really said to my neighbor, you know, like, uh, the, the motor on my, on my weed whip is not, uh, not exactly working correctly. Or I, or I said the engine on my weed whip isn't working correctly. You know, what, what do you do in this situation? <laughs> I just never thought about which way I set it up until this, until right now, Ben. I don't, you're making me think about this. Yeah. So that what, means that's an excellent question. But, but I think I call it an engine on my, uh, on my lawnmower. Yeah. You know, the small gas engine that's there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Well, that's a that's a great question. Listeners, uh, I'm sure you have some opinions about this as well. Uh, Joseph, we we are fascinated by this question and uh, we we'd like to maybe come back with a little bit more. Yeah. And I definitely hear some old timers saying motor for engine all the time. I mean, oh, it's yeah. always the open yeah. the hood. And let's check out the motor. Mm-hmm. That's always that way. OK, so let's uh, let's move on to the next one. How about that? Yeah, let's go. What's all right. Next? Here's uh, here's one that's uh, this. It's kind of maybe a two-part thing. It, it is, uh, there's two, they're kind of, they're kind of linked together here. Right. And, on. uh, this is, the first one is from Rudy, Rudy Smith, who we, oh, uh, yeah. write in all the time, writes in all the time. We need to get um, Rudy some, uh, uh, a sound cue or some theme music at some point. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> He's a prolific writer and we love all of his emails yeah, because, uh, yeah. it's really interesting, thought-provoking stuff. And, and here's an interesting one that, uh, came through recently, not long ago. Um, he says, considering, and this is about, um, uh, the, the topic, I guess, is car collections of the Chinese rich and famous. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood, a brand that's truly close to my heart because it was founded in my kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton. Today, Laird Superfood boasts an amazing lineup of products, 
all crafted with the highest quality plant-based ingredients. Think functional mushrooms, real fruits and veggies. What makes us unique? We're committed to using only real ingredients, no artificial and no natural flavors. Two of my absolute favorites are prebiotic daily greens, really great tasting, and we've added some mushrooms to support your gut even a little more. Then there's our instant latte lineup. We've got instant mocha, instant latte, chai. If you want to discover Laird Superfood, you can do it at your local retailer on Amazon or at LairdSuperfood.com. And if you put in the code GABBY2024 on our website, you'll get an exclusive 20% off your first purchase. And yeah. I found this fascinating because I hadn't really thought about this, but when I started looking at these links that he sent, he's exactly right. There's, it seems like there's, t- there's oftentimes an anonymous Chinese buyer of some of these mm-hmm. amazing cars that come up for sale. And here's what he had to say. He said, considering all the concentrated wealth in China – and the popularity of luxury cars there, it occurred to me that there must be at least one Chinese gajillionaire with a penchant for collecting fine cars. Uh-huh. I don't know if there is, but maybe you can use your research mojo to find out. I wonder if the high luxury taxes there have anything to do with the inconspicuous nature of car collecting. Um, okay, so here's here's what goes on. There's a there's a big car collection that's coming up for, for sale, or maybe... Um, a specific vehicle that's up for sale that's, uh, you know, highly coveted. You know, a lot right. of people want it. And then, uh, you know, bidding goes back and forth. And then suddenly on the phone, uh, someone, someone will break in and say, uh, there's, a, there's a bidder on the line from China, uh, who's going to bid X number of dollars. And it's always way, you know, well, well above whatever it is, or it's right. just, just enough to win the auction. And, uh, it's always somebody who seems to be anonymous. And, uh, here's, <laughs> here's one, here's one example. Um, the uh, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right. The Ratsoy uh, collection, uh, which was a uh, this is a um, I believe the guy is a Canadian who was a collector. And he had about a hundred cars in his collection, okay. and of all different types. But he kept this guy ended up keeping about twenty cars for himself. But eighty of these cars went to a wealthy Chinese buyer. The entire collection, um, an anonymous bidder, an a- anonymous acquisition, of course. Um, but I think even to this day, I think that person is still unknown. They were thinking they were they were pondering the idea whether or not this person was going to open some sort of a museum with these vehicles really? in China. But um, I don't know if it's still unknown or not. I'm not sure if they found out who that was or not. But there is a long list of um, um, cars that have gone to anonymous Chinese bidders over the years. And it's kind of interesting the way this works out. And nobody quite knows who they are. If it's the same person, if it's somebody over there just amassing some huge collection like the, uh, yeah. like the Schlumpf collection or something, you know? <laughs> Now, what's going on? So the, the Chinese car collector's idea is really an interesting thought, and I think yeah. we should look into that. Absolutely. I can respond just briefly a little bit. Mm-hmm. All right. So the the worry of luxury taxes, import taxes, mm-hmm. is valid. However, there is endemic corruption, especially in the ruling party and the children of the ruling party. Mm-hmm. There's very much a, uh, there's very much an emphasis on consumption and, uh, people, there are people who do have quite a bit of money in, in China and, uh, often affiliated with the government. Recently, uh, the government of China started doing some crackdowns on these corruption scandals and you hear differing reports about why these happen. But uh, we do know that it can be dangerous for a 
party member, right, someone who's in charge of the government, to be seen as robbing it blind and driving Jaguars while people starve, right? Well, imagine paying the luxury taxes on 80-plus museum-quality or higher-quality sure. cars all at one time. Yeah, but okay, also, are we uh, – uh, imagine not having to pay the taxes. Ah, I see. You see what I'm saying about the corruption? I see. So it may be possible that they're uh, – it may be possible that they're getting around this through entirely illegal means. Could be. Now, that still leaves somebody, though, with enough money to buy an entire car collection or basically an entire museum. Yeah, of cars, of collector cars. I, I'm skeptical. Uh, I'm skeptical regarding whether it would be a single individual, but I would love to learn more. We also know that uh, wealthy, wealthy China-based interests are buying up a lot of real estate around the world, right? True. Not just New York, but London, a lot in California, uh, driving up the plate, uh, the prices. Perhaps foreign investors are driving up the prices of some cities where some of our listeners live right now. So, and that that's also anonymous. We don't know. Yeah, uh, there are different holding companies, things like that. It's a very exciting idea, Rudy, and thank you for recommending it. And this kind of led me to another thought. And and before I even read what my thought was about, you know, it's kind of a spinoff idea from yeah. this, right? And, uh, and I wrote this down, and I had this uh, written out here at the bottom of this email to read this, and then another email came in that has a similar suggestion, or at least as a, as a secondary thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, so someone wrote in, his name is uh, Stuart L., and Stuart L. wrote in and said he's a longtime listener of the show, uh, but a first-time emailer. And he says, as a fellow gearhead, I've always been fascinated and highly entertained by your podcast. Well, thank you very thank much. Thank you. We appreciate that, Stuart. Um, he says, keep up the great work. But I have to admit, I knew nothing about the history of the U-Haul company, and couldn't believe just how dramatic some of the events were. Also, uh, your mention of um, all the trucks having Arizona plates, I'm up in Canada, and it's the same thing up here. So that was our question, whether or not the Canadian trucks had um, the Arizona plates. Um, all right, so he mentioned some other things there, and it, it, you know, at the end he says, cheers and, and great stuff, by the way. And uh, at the end he adds a PS. And uh, he says, and this is where my idea came in as well, um, I was recently watching a Top Gear episode from a few years ago where they traveled to China and observed the massively growing car industry. And as an idea for a future podcast, I was wondering if you could cover the topic of cars made in China that are uh, practically identical looking to official auto brands like Audi, BMW, etc., but are created under a myriad of knockoff names. Now, that was exactly what I thought when I read Rudy's email. I was thinking about the Chinese knockoff cars. The ones that look like a Rolls Royce but are not named Rolls Royce. That mm-hmm. that look like a BMW exactly. Mm-hmm. They have a badge that looks very very similar <laughs> to BMW's badge. Like maybe the, uh, you know the, uh, the the crest is tilted just a little bit. You know maybe like 90, right. 90 degrees and it's a different vehicle. Um, it, there's a, there's a lot to this whole thing. The knockoff cars from China. Um, I would love to cover that as a topic. I think we should. Yeah, not a bad idea at all. Now, Scott, uh, do you have another one you want to knock out? Uh, Okay, how about this? I'll do a quick one here from uh, Phil C. And uh, let's see if I can uh, read this here. He says, Hi guys, I'm a new listener. I love the show, and I've been binge listening for the last couple of weeks when when time allows. Uh, Listening more every day. Well, that's good. Good to hear. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. We appreciate it. Uh, Recently, I heard an episode that somewhere along the way, someone mentioned uh, spotting a Cadillac ELR, and that was me. I saw a Cadillac ELR I guess it was about a block from where we work, mm-hmm. and it's a beautiful car, really stunning, but um, very small for a Cadillac. <laughs> um, he says, I know they're rare, and they haven't sold very well, but I did see one today, and I took a quick photo in the parking lot. Um, 
<laughs> he says, I didn't know people were so inclined to throw money away. Here's the picture. And <laughs> he sends a picture of, uh, and I think it has New Jersey plates on it, this, uh, this car. Um, but uh, anyways, yeah, you're right. It's uh, right now it's kind of a rare bird to spot, um, sure. everywhere in the United States it, so far. Uh, they just haven't sold well. He's exactly right. And he does, uh, come in with another good idea, by the way. He says, um, it's another PS. He says, love the top 10 lists. So how about an episode on the top 10 fastest zero to 60 new cars under 30,000, uh, $30,000. Um, so that's a great idea. The top yeah. 10 fastest zero to 60 new cars under 30,000. I love the specificity. Yeah. And he says he loves the top 10 list, which, okay, there's a little back and forth here about this. Cause right. we have people that write in and say they can't stand the top 10 list. We got to quit doing those. Yeah, it's true. They're not for everybody. No, not everybody. And then other people write in and say, you know what? Every time you do a top 10 list, I, I spend half the rest of the week looking up all the stuff that you mentioned on the top 10 list. So keep doing those. Those are really a lot of fun because they lead to other thoughts, other well, other investigations. I guess. We'll do it in moderation. Yeah, moderation. And honestly, we do them because they're fun to do. And they're, yeah. they're, they're pretty easy as far as like we can just come in and read a list and we can you know add to it. We have a fun conversation along mm-hmm. with it. We do some research ahead of time. Um, on the makes or models or the costs or whatever the, the list involved. We don't talk about this a lot off air, but uh, whenever we get to do those episodes, what I love the most is I always feel like I am, at least once, I feel like I'm on the verge of buying a new car. Really? Or buying an older car. Yeah, even when we did the 10 worst Fords, I was, I can't remember which one it was. I was thought, it the Capri? No, it was not the Capri. <laughs> it's not the Capri. Sorry, Adrian. I was thinking of, uh, there was one of them on the list where I thought, you know what? That's the least bad one, and I guess that's the one I'll buy. And then I came back to Earth, and I thought, wait, 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 no, 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 no. You know, we do this all the time, though. I mean, it's it's tough when you start digging into a brand or a um, a type of vehicle. Maybe yeah. you're talking about, um, you know, pony cars. Sure. Uh, sure, you and I get the fever to buy a pony car right away or yeah. to rent one or do something. We need we need to get our hands on a pony car. Or, or we feel like, um, you know, when we dig into a brand, it's like, man, wouldn't it be nice to get even an older, uh, like, let's take Jaguar for an example. Yeah. If we were to dig into that one, it'd be great to buy a Jaguar that maybe is a few years old and, and just kind of have fun with that. Because now you know the whole history behind it. You know what, what mm-hmm. you know, the, the good and the bad. You know it all. So, um, yeah, it's, it's tough to, uh, I guess, really dive into something like that. Most people only do that when they're really interested in a brand that they're maybe – pursuing as a possible purchase right um you know let's say you're gonna buy volkswagen you might really look into volkswagen and you might even look at some history and stuff like that but typically you're going to look at them the model years that you're interested in and and mm-hmm. research which ones are uh, reliable versus which ones are not reliable which ones have uh known problems which ones have recalls things like that um we do that for just about every vehicle that we uh that we uh, present to you. Mm-hmm. So it does become kind of this, uh, it becomes for a while, a short time, an obsession. And, uh, even some of the, the, like things like we talk about, like drones or we talk about, um, RC jets. Remember we talked about those? Yeah. For a while? Yeah, yeah. That yeah. was, I was so sure that within that month I was going to buy an RC jet, like a park jet to fly and, and play with. And then, you know, the winter hits and then something else gets in the way, you know, like a house repair or sure, something. Yeah. And, uh, it never comes around. And then by that time we're onto a new topic and I've, I've, not forgotten about it, but, um, you know, the, the fever, the fire isn't quite there the way it was the yeah. previous month. And that goes away just because topics seem to come up, you know, so quickly for us. We have to do things mm-hmm. so fast here. Um, but yeah, you're right. Um, and I think every top 10 list there is, uh, at some point where you say, 
Yeah, maybe maybe it wouldn't be so bad to park one of those in my driveway for uh-huh. the next uh, half year or so, and then I'll just get rid of it and on to the next thing. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood, a brand that's truly close to my heart because it was founded in my kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton. Today, Laird Superfood boasts an amazing lineup of products, all crafted with the highest quality plant-based ingredients. Think functional mushrooms, real fruits and veggies. What makes us unique? We're committed to using only real ingredients, no artificial and no natural flavors. Two of my absolute favorites are prebiotic daily greens, really great tasting, and we've added some mushrooms to support your gut even a little more. Then there's our instant latte lineup. We've got instant mocha, instant latte, chai. If you want to discover Laird Superfood, you can do it at your local retailer on Amazon or at LairdSuperfood.com. And if you put in the code GABBY2024 on our website, you'll get an exclusive 20% off your first purchase. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, I live a very busy car buying life in my head. <laughs> Are you going to make a jump anytime soon? Are you, have, have you got any concrete plans or any maybe uh, tentative plans to, to make a move or would you rather not say? Oh, no comment. No, no comment. comment. Oh. Yeah, I can't go on record with that yet. Plead the fifth. I don't want to jinx myself. He's going to plead the fifth. Okay. I'll plead the fifth car on the <laughs> list. Okay, thanks for writing in, Phil. Uh, Scott, I'd like to move over to Facebook briefly. Let's do it. All right. So our friend Josh H. wrote in to us and said, uh, 
regarding dealership myths episodes. He says, I brought, bought my car used from Summerside Kia, went over financing and payment plans when it dawned on me that my insurance would double. At the time, I was between postings at work. I called my insurance company to confirm the insurance issue. Since I wasn't going to be able to afford insurance for the car, I wouldn't have been able to buy it. The salesman and manager took me to their office and said, look, what we'll do is we'll pay your insurance for the year if you're still interested in the car. And they cut me a check for a cool grand. That's my language. He said $1,000 to pay for 2012 insurance. I definitely go back and they didn't add it to the car's price. They just gave them $1,000. No kidding. So there must have been, okay, there had to have been a huge incentive on their end, on their end to sell that, which discounted the $1,000. They said, even though we're doing that, uh, you know, okay, this goes back to our, uh, our, our myths episode where we said, yeah, they've got, they can make a deal on some vehicles, they can lose money on some vehicles, right. as long as they hit a certain number, and then they get the bonus from the manufacturer, and the bonus can be, you know, $100,000 or more or whatever. So they've got this big numbers game that they're playing on the spreadsheet constantly. Right. And, uh, it just worked in his favor this time. That's, that's great. That's a, that's a great story. Yeah. And, uh, I like that it ties into a very important part of the, dealership car cycle that a lot of car buyers are not aware of. So let's just reiterate it. There is a lifespan, uh, an ideal time to sell the cars, right? And Scott, you broke down the numbers in that episode where you said, okay, this car will sit this lot. And if it's not, if it's sold the first month, the company gets this incentive, the second month, this incentive and third month, this incentive. And then somewhere around month three or four is when they start losing money on the car. Yeah. And they're just trying to get rid of that thing. They just want it off the lot because they want the next round of vehicles to come in. The, the, uh, the newer, uh, the ones that have more, uh, well, greater incentive for them to sell. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's true, man. I, I'm, I'm also laughing because I'm remembering, there was another thing on Facebook I wanted to read to you, continuing something from our earlier listener mail episode. Okay. All right. So Alan C. writes into us also on Facebook and says, uh, hey, guys, let me just say I love the show. Thank you, Alan. Just started listening a couple months ago, and now I'm hooked. I usually listen to you guys on my 35-minute commute to work. Recently, I heard you mention that some of your listeners didn't like it when you have three-parters. I'm going to go on record saying I do like them. It would be a shame to miss out on some of the interesting info just to save time. I will say, though, sometimes you guys can go pretty deep down the rabbit hole, but you usually recover before I lose you. Your show does a great job blending my two favorite subjects, cars and history. Keep them coming. I'll keep a listening. Thanks, Alan. Hmm. So, again, it's kind of like the top ten list. Well, yeah, it's back and forth. This is what we battle every day, Ben. This is, uh, this is just how <laughs> difficult our work is. Oh, man. Uh, well, thanks. I'm, I'm being facetious. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's fun. We love both sides of this argument because right. we get it all every week, really. Right. We hear about the multiple episodes versus single episodes. We hear about lists. We hear about... Um, you know, I don't want to hear any more history pieces on your on your <laughs> podcast, that type of thing. And other people write in and say, I love the history. That's what I listen for. Um, so, yeah, it's just back and forth, right? Yeah, yeah, it's back and forth. And uh, while not every show is for everyone, uh, we hope that there's a every everybody who listens finds a show you like. This is my time to go ahead and uh, plug our website carstuffshow.com where you can check out every single thing we've ever done uh and that's if you know you don't want to use the new app but uh, i'll be honest there are some uh there's some really 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 
great episodes in there, and there are a few in the can, Scott, that are just not my favorite. Not because yeah. of you, but because of me. Uh, no. <laughs> you're you're being too humble. There's uh, yeah, there's some that uh, are not our favorite episodes. Let's say that uh, you know we're a little less familiar with the topic, maybe. Uh, there is one that we never aired, which uh, we have we've we've mentioned that one a few yeah, times. Yeah, a few we've times. never really even said what it was. I but, think we should let it die. Man. Uh, maybe we maybe. should just let it let it sleep. Maybe. Yeah. All right. So um, how about this? I'll do two more um, about uh, noise cancellation. Great. Remember, we did that episode on digital exhaust. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's kind of an interesting idea, you know, between whether your exhaust is a true exhaust sound or if it's a digital or digitally created Exhaust sound, and it was a fun episode to do. Yeah, it was cool. And um, let's see, Josh B. Josh B. wrote in uh, right. from from. Is it Taser? I always mess this up every time. And he writes in and gives me <laughs> every phonetic, time phonetic spelling, and then I screw it up the next time. So <laughs> I believe it's Tazewell, Virginia. It could be Tazewell. I don't remember. I'm oh, sorry. We'll, we'll hear about it. I'm sorry, Josh. <laughs> All right, so. Uh, he says, I enjoyed uh, pondering the thoughts of silent little electric cars in the future zipping around and sounding like five-liter Mustangs and 426 Hemis ever since listening to the Digital Exhaust Sound podcast. He says he has a friend that drives a Prius, which, by the way, is much more comfortable and more spacious than I would have ever have guessed before riding in one, which is something, uh, because I'm a five foot ten fan of big cars, and this guy is six foot three and a fellow gearhead, and he drives a Prius. Huh. Um, he says, at the times I've ridden in it, the quiet is unnerving. He said, it's like, a, it's just unusual to be inside this thing. Um, it's really hard to get used to at first. And he does say that a few people, and this is something that a lot of people have written in and said, Ben. Yeah. He says that there are a few people that drive them at work and I've just about been run down by in the parking lot a time or two, uh, because he can't hear them coming. And we've had so many people write in over yeah. the years that have said, just what we've talked about, the safety aspect of these, that, you know, you might, if you're not looking, you'll step out in traffic in front of one. And by, and by traffic, I mean usually in a parking lot, right. um, you know, where you can't really hear a lot of road noise. Or possibly in a city environment. We've heard people that have almost stepped off the curb in front of one, like from a bus stop or something. Yep. It's a, it's a, it sounds a little bit funny, but it is a legitimate concern. It really is. Yeah. It's, they've said something similar, but, um, so he says, I can see the safety aspect of this, you know, wanting to, um, hear the car for shifting purposes or just for the sake of hearing it or for the, the pedestrian safety aspect of this whole thing. Yeah. Uh, and it makes sense in that case, you know, like maybe um, a car that has a lot of sound deadening or whatever, you can't hear it inside. Uh, but he says, what I can't see doing, however, is making my Kia, Kia Rio sound like an Indy car or a V8 muscle car just for the heck of it. And I, I kind of agree, <laughs> but it is fun to think of. You know, like we had people that wrote in and said, you know, I tried one of these sound racer things in my, uh, you know, mini and it was a lot of fun to make it sound like a V8 engine because it's, it's a peppy little car to drive. And it, you could, I guess, kind of picture that car having a V8, you know, because it, it, it gets up and goes pretty quick. I yeah, mean, it's, it's got a, some scoot. It, it does. So, okay. So he says, well, we're on the subject of fakers. And this is the, uh, the real gist of this, uh, this email. And it's a, it's an episode suggestion, by the way. He says, well, we're on the subject of fakers. It made me think of another instance in the automotive world where people may not be entirely honest about their vehicle. And I'm not sure if this would make for a decent topic or not, but uh, it's nonetheless a fascinating idea, to, to me at least. Uh, this one is a little more underhanded and sneaky, though. Um, it's about faking the model or trim package on a car, either to replicate something that they really want or to just kind of dupe somebody out of more money when they're trying to sell the vehicle. Ah, uh, yes. And uh, this is a dirty trick that some people do. Now, um, he says, including making a Pontiac Tempest into a GTO, 
Um, he knew I'd, he says, you know, I'd work to go into this email somehow. Um, <laughs> making a Ford car into a GT or making a Chevy car into an SS. And he says he's the former owner of a 73 SS Nova, uh, that was bought as an SS and then later sparked a lot of debates as to whether it, it truly was an, an actual SS vehicle. Uh-huh. Uh, so that would make you pretty mad if you bought an SS vehicle and paid the extra money, the premium for that model. And then other people were to say, I don't really think that's an SS. I think you've been, uh, you've been swindled in some way. Yeah, it's a um, scam. So he says, I have a tiny bit of personal connection to this one. Um, but I've also, he said, I've also seen a Yenko Camaro in a showroom that was purported to be a clone, uh, complete with a 427, which sounded amazing regardless of whether the, or not the car was a clone. And so the idea is that some people knowingly do this and say, I'm, I'm making a Yenko clone. And it's, I'm telling you up front, it's not a true vehicle. It's a clone. Right. It, but it has all the parts. You know, everything is the way it would be as it came from the factory, but it didn't come from the factory this way. So clone vehicles or clone cars instead of clown cars, as we talked about <laughs> a, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, clone cars, I think, is an interesting topic. Yeah. I like the idea of clone cars mm-hmm. uh, very much. Now, what, what else do you have? Here? All right. The second one was on noise cancellation. Yeah. Um, and this comes from uh, Ryan from Irvington, Virginia. Ryan writes in often to us. Um, Ryan G. Yep. And he says that, um, again, this is about the, uh, the digital exhaust. Uh-huh. So he said, I learned good stuff from your recent episodes. So thank you for that. It reminded me of the opposite idea back in 1992 when Nissan used noise cancellation technology on their Bluebird model so that the drivers and passengers couldn't hear the engine while everyone outside the car still could hear the engine. Um, there's a, a popular science article all about the, uh, 1992 Nissan Bluebird model if you guys want to, uh, want to look into it. Nice. Good yeah, idea, yeah. huh? Great. Good Ryan, suggestion, Ryan. Ryan's we'll, always got some good ideas we'll for us that. here. Well, Scott, where are we at? We got to, uh, we got to a couple of pretty good ones. Do you want to do one more thing? Uh, all right. I've got one more thing I can uh, do here. Another listener email. All right. One more thing. Here's one that, uh, I think we've sort of covered in an, in an episode, but I'm not entirely sure we have been. Um, it's, it's in a roundabout way. Um, this is, I believe this was a, a Facebook post and it comes from a guy, uh, Jeff O and Jeff says, uh, for decades, railroads have used a diesel electric engine to power their locomotives. Given the inherent fuel economy of the diesel engine, why haven't the auto companies brought out a diesel hybrid vehicle? Moreover, why haven't a, why haven't the semi truck makers or RV companies done this? Is there some technical barrier? I also have a suggestion for a podcast episode since you just did the U-Haul episode, mm-hmm. car rental history. I have a personal interest in this as the first car rental company started in Omaha, Nebraska. Now, I haven't looked that up. I'm yeah. not entirely, I mean, but, but Jeff says that's true, so we'll have to uh, look into that. Um, he's saying that the first car rental company started in Omaha, Nebraska here in the United States. So we'll have to check into that. But um, I wanted to say something about this uh, this this uh, diesel hybrid vehicle idea. And I know Volkswagen has been playing around with this. And I, I didn't look this one up ahead of time. I should have. I do recall, though, that Volkswagen had their one-liter car that used a diesel hybrid. Oh, yeah, the L1. Yeah, the L1, which is a fantastic car. And we've yeah. talked about that at length in several episodes. Since, before, since it was just a twinkle in an engineer's eye. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're right. I mean, the diesel hybrid is a, an extremely efficient powertrain to use. But the reason locomotives are so efficient, we've, we've talked about this yeah. as well, I think in maybe in our Amtrak episode, maybe in a different one. I'm not sure. Um, but locomotives are so efficient because the wheels and the track that they use, um, it's, it's metal on metal and there's a very, very small contact patch. 
and it's highly efficient once it begins rolling. Once it's moving, it's very, very easy to right. keep that load rolling. And so then you can see numbers uh, for trains that say, and I'm going to ballpark this. They sure. say uh, this train can travel, you know, and it's it's a huge train, you know, uh, with cargo and, you know, uh, loads of coal or whatever. Right. And many, many cars. And they'll say this train can travel 450 miles on one gallon of diesel fuel uh, or something like that. You know, that's just a ballpark figure. Sure. But something like that. Well, the idea is that they have very, very low rolling resistance. So once you get that load rolling, once yeah. you get it moving, it's, it's very, very little friction. Very, very little friction. So it's a, it's a, it's an optimal surface. It's, it's metal on metal and very small, mm-hmm. and it's easy to keep it going. But uh, stopping a train is much more difficult than stopping a car, which has very sticky rubber tires on a, um, you know, any variety of surfaces, asphalt or concrete, sure. or even gravel. even gravel. Yeah, I mean, I know there's skidding there or whatever, but mm-hmm. um, it's nothing like metal on metal trying to immediately break that. It's very difficult. Yeah, that was a pretty good episode when we did that one. Yeah, that was. So, you know, the uh, the rolling resistance thing and the, the friction, um, all that plays into this whole thing. And that's why locomotives are so efficient. And I do know that car companies are playing around with uh, diesel hybrid vehicles. So... Uh, we're bound to see them coming out. I think Volkswagen is going to be leader in this. At least yeah, now. they've really put their uh, their flag on the territory. Unless there. somebody's sandbagging and they're just going to come out with a car and say that that's it. It's it's production ready. I would be so excited if that were the case. Yeah, and I, again, I haven't looked it up. I don't know if anybody else has thrown out any kind of uh, you know prototype vehicles or anything, or maybe there's a kind of a one off thing that's out there that I just don't know about right now. Maybe yeah, uh, particularly a European vehicle that I just don't know about right now. Yeah, it's quite possible, but we will go look for that. And unfortunately, that means that our time is drawing to a close. Uh, we'd like to thank Kyle, Bill, Hezron, Adrian, Joseph, Aaron, Rudy, Stuart, Phil, Josh, Alan, Josh B., Ryan, Jeff, and everybody else who has checked out our website, checked out our show here, and written in with some ideas, because the best ideas uh, always come from our listeners, it seems. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we've got both you and I have another pile of of (laughs) letters that we just haven't been able to get to today. So uh, there's even more than that. I mean, many, many suggestions coming in, and keep them coming in. When I say that, you know, um, we just can't answer all of them, and you know we've got to do these episodes that uh, that, that answer listener mail. Right, that's a good problem to have. Then. Yeah, really yeah, very fortunate. Great and, suggestions, and we've got yeah. You know, I was writing down all these suggestions, uh, keeping a list here. So, uh, like to ask for a favor, listeners out there, if you guys heard one that particularly stuck in your mind as something we should cover. Uh, right away, pronto, you know, then, then write in and let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. You can also, uh, find us, of course, on carstuffshow.com. And if you want to, uh, take a page out of some of these folks' books and write to us directly, we have good news for you. We have an email. It is carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. 
The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hi, I'm Gabby Reese. Join me and my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, on our journey with Laird Superfood. From our kitchen to yours, we've crafted delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and so much more using high-quality functional ingredients. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 for 20% off your first order. Turns out a delightfully clean home can make for a delightful start to the day. At Mrs. Myers, everything they make is inspired by the garden. With plant-derived and other thoughtfully chosen ingredients, their cleaning products smell like a dream and work like the Dickens, leaving your home sparkly clean and your to-do list tackled in no time. Goodness, there's no better feeling than that. Mrs. Myers, rooted in goodness. Visit MrsMyers.com today.